0: As I was growing up, I was raised on the King James Version of the Bible. And so Psalm 23 never made sense to me because as a kid, I didn't understand that the word want want could also be translated as lack. And so I always figured that Psalm 23 was kind of the candid story of an ex-shepherd. You know, God is a shepherd you don't really want. You know, trust me. I've been a shepherd. He's not the shepherd that you want. He's going to make you lay down. In fields, you know, when you want to be playing football and baseball and ultimate frisbee, he's going to make you take a nap. You know, what kid wants to take a nap? He's going, to, he's going to lead you to boring waters. You know, not rivers and streams and rapids or waves that you can surf, but just chill waters. You know, like, really? He's going to restore your soul. Well, I, I don't want anybody messing with my soul. And on and on and on. You, you're going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And you're like, no. No, that doesn't, maybe at Knott's Berry Farm at Halloween, but no, you know, none of this sounded good. So, God was the shepherd that I didn't want or I shouldn't want was how I read this. And it never really made sense. But I'm going to read it today, and we're going to break this apart. And we're going to keep the outline super simple today. There's three parts to the outline. You don't even fill them in, they're there. You can take notes around it. But we're going to look at God's role as the good shepherd. Our role, the part that we play in the gospel message. That's it. His role, our role, the gospel message. Let's jump in. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, or I shall not be in want, or lack anything. He makes me lie down. I love the New Living Translation, but it's not he lets me lie down. I don't choose. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me before, uh, before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. It's not, you have honored me by doing that, but you have anointed my head. We're going to talk about what that means. My cup overflows. Jesus certainly demonstrated that in the feeding of the 5,000. Surely, not hopefully, not possibly, but surely, goodness and mercy or loving kindness will follow me. Literally in the Hebrew is chase after me, pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. A few quick, simple things as we jump in. Notice that David says, the Lord is my shepherd, present tense. Not God was my shepherd when I was out in the fields with the wild animals, tending my father's flock, man, he was the one who took care of me, and now I'm king, and so I got you know, protection, and I got connections and all that. God was a really good shepherd, but no, God is my shepherd. I'm a shepherd, and I have a shepherd who is over me. That's what David is saying. My means that he is the shepherd, not only of the group, but of the individual. He is personal. He is intimate, which we've seen in the names of God, that God connects with us, not just on a corporate level, but on a personal, individual, passionate level. And he has all of our needs met. He covers us. He is the good shepherd that we're going to read about in John chapter 10. So we want to talk today about what is God's role, what's our role, and what's the gospel message. I want you to look at the verbs in Psalm 23, the action of what God does. There's a lot here. Friday morning men's group, we kind of picked it over and I found a few more that we missed. But one of the ones you can miss very easily is he provides. If I am never in want, if I am never lacking, that means that God provides for me. And we know he is wonderful at that. I read a story this week that immediately after World War II, the Allied armies gathered up many hungry, homeless children, and placed them in large camps. The children there were abundantly fed and cared for. However, at night, they didn't sleep well at all. They seemed restless and afraid. Finally, a psychologist hit on a solution. After the children were put to bed, they each received a slice of bread to hold. If they wanted more to eat, that was provided. But this particular slice was not to be eaten. It was just to be held. The slice of bread produced marvelous results. The child would go to sleep subconsciously feeling that they would have something to eat tomorrow. The assurance gave the child a calm and a peaceful rest. This author says in the 23rd Psalm, David points out something of the same feeling in the sheep when he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, I shall not be in need. Instinctively, the sheep knows that the shepherd has made plans For its grazing tomorrow. He knows that the shepherd made ample provision for it today, so he will tomorrow, and so the sheep lies down in its fold with figuratively speaking the piece of bread in its hand. God is above all our provider, the one that meets our needs. Secondly, he makes us rest. Again, not allows us to or lets us, but he makes us rest. Many of us are afraid to rest because we wonder how we'll ever stay in control if we, if we give up the reins of control. But the, the reality in the Christian life and in life in general is that we will never discover the blessing of rest as long as we are self-sufficient, as long as we are trying to do things our way, as long as we think that we can fix our own problems, and as long as we wander off the path. The text says that God makes us lie down in green pastures. Again, like if he let us, what kid would want to take a nap? What kid would want to stop? And we're the same way. I mean, oftentimes we're like, I worked a 150-hour week this week, you know, and we say it with pride, you know, like, oh, they needed me, and I just can't stop. You know, and many of us are not only good providers, but we get caught up in work. And we, we glorify work and we never stop because we think the world will stop turning if we stop. And God's like, you need to take a break for a minute and realize that I had things in control before I created you and brought you into existence and I can still keep it in control if I take you out of existence. You need to, you need to stop and realize that there is one who provides and cares for you. When we're in a situation that we wish that God would change. We need to stop and consider that perhaps God is not changing our situation because He is teaching us something through it. As hard as that may be, He's keeping us right where we are in turn, until we learn to rest in Him, to trust in Him, to lean upon His sufficiency rather than our supposed ability. Verse 2 it says that He leads us. The shepherd didn't drive their sheep ahead of them, they led the sheep. Because unlike the sheep, they knew where the the green pastures were, where the resources were. Jehovah-Rohi leads us beside quiet waters, still waters. I learned this week that sheep apparently won't drink from running water. They easily fall over and their thick wool quickly soaks up the water and it pulls them under. And they get terrified. So shepherds aware of this know that if the sheep wander into the running water, they're going to spend their time and energy and attention trying to stay steady rather than drink the water. So the shepherd leads them to still water, quiet water. The shepherd restores our soul, which in the Hebrew literally means a reset, a recalibration, a replenishing of all that we are. and know how we need that in this day and age. Especially. Our shepherd guides us. God is the best GPS system that we could ever hope for. How many times have we ignored God's direction and gone our own way only to wind up lost? How many times have we listened to the, the bad advice of family and friends and the culture or even ourselves and found ourselves in disaster or crisis? Jehovah Roi is more amazing than the best global position satellite system that we could ever imagine he recalibrates our location in life and leads us to that path that will take us exactly where he wanted us to go in the first place he's faithful even as we wander he promises to be with us in verse four the reality is that valleys exist between mountains All of us want to live on the mountaintop and have the perspective of the mountaintop and always be at that high peak, climax experience in life. But to be on the mountain, you've got to go through a lot of valleys. And he guides us through the valleys. And valleys represent times of vulnerability, times of risk, times of terror sometimes, especially dark valleys. Fear is often dictated by what we're looking at. And the question is, when we go through the valleys, are we looking and focused on the shadows, or are we focused and and have our eyes fixed upon the shepherd, the one who is guiding us, the one who who ensures our safety? We're safer in a dark valley with God in his presence than we are anywhere else that we could possibly be in life. In verse 4, he comforts us. A shepherd uses his rod to fend off any enemy attacks and his staff to lead the sheep and to pull the sheep out of a thicket if it gets caught. During some recent uprisings in the Middle East, American missionaries communicated the following in their prayer letter. They said, The result of the fighting and killing has left a profound sense of discouragement that hovers over the country. Several times we have come into closer contact with this conflict than our comfort zone allowed. But yesterday we observed a wonderful reminder of God's care for us. There was a shepherd caring for his flock near the area where the guns were being fired. Every time the shots rang out, the sheep scattered in fright. And the shepherd then touched each of them with his staff and spoke calmly to them. And the sheep settled down immediately because they trusted their shepherd. Then another shot sounded and rang out. And the same routine happened again. Each time the sheep needed the shepherd to orient them again and to reassure them that they were safe. God uses his staff to pull us out of trouble and out of danger and also to to tangibly touch us and connect with us and let us know that he is in control. In John chapter 10, which we're going to read in a little bit, where Jesus talks about himself as a good shepherd he uses a Hebrew phrase about going in and going out, which doesn't make a lot of sense to us, but it's used to describe the comfort that comes from God's protection. To be able to come and to go unbothered was the Jewish way of describing a life that was absolutely secure and safe. When people can go in and out without fear, it means that their country is at peace. It it describes the forces of law and order being supreme and working properly. It it speaks of enjoying perfect security. And that's the kind of comfort that we have, knowing that our shepherd leads the way and always goes before us and is always on guard, is vigilant to protect us and to guide us. It goes on in verse 5 to say that he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. It's like, where did this image come from? What is this all about? Well, I read this week that the shepherd carries a belt that held a cloth. And whenever he found a lost sheep, he would spread out the cloth on the ground with some grass and fodder so that the sheep could eat and and get the nourishment that they needed because they often wandered into desolate, rocky, dangerous places. While the sheep were eating in the safety of the shepherd, the foxes, the coyotes, the hyenas were held back and had to watch from a distance because. The lamb would eat in the presence of its shepherd. And God does that. He prepares resources and provides for us in the midst of danger and challenges. He anoints our head with oil. Verse 5. The New Living Translation again assumes that that means to honor. But it doesn't make sense because what sheep needs to be honored? It's not about honoring, it's about caring for the sheep sheep often went looking for berries and wandered into thickets and when the shepherd retrieved them from the thicket, their head would often be cut or bleeding because of thorns and so the shepherd would take the oil and he would work it into the head and just massage them. My youngest daughter has a golden retriever uh, a golden doodle, and uh, we, we take him to the beach every day and runs in the waves and chases the birds and And one of his favorite things is if I just take his ears and just rub those ears at the end of the day to get the moisture out, he just starts this deep, contented, like, oh, oh, he just, he's in seventh heaven, just loves it. And that's the picture I get when God takes his anointing oil and just rubs it into our wounds and our cuts and our bleeding places and just massages it in love and restores us. God, our shepherd, pursues us. His goodness and loving kindness chase after us all the days of our life. In a few moments, I'm going to read John chapter 10, as I said, where Jesus talks about how he is the good shepherd. But I want you to see the history behind this. I want you to see the prophecy that Jesus fulfills. I want you to see the Old Testament shepherds that were supposed to guide God's people and how they did a horrible job at that and so God himself said I will be their shepherd and God predicted that one day I will send another the Messiah and he will be the proper perfect shepherd for my people in Jesus' final public address his final teaching in the Gospels in John chapter 10 he uses another I am saying with a metaphor that explains another aspect of what it means for him to be Messiah And that metaphor is the good shepherd. He says in verse 11 of John 10, I am the good shepherd. And this was meant to be understood in terms of the Old Testament passages about Israel's shepherds, which was a metaphor for their kings and their judges, who were wicked and who were evil and who served themselves rather than the needs of the people. They failed to do their duty. God, speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, uh, condemns these shepherds. In Jeremiah 23, he says, What sorrow awaits the leaders of my people, the shepherds of my sheep, for they have destroyed and scattered the very ones they were expected to care for, says the Lord. Ezekiel 34, Then this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds, the leaders of Israel. Give them this message from the sovereign Lord. What sorrow awaits you. Very much like Jesus lambasting the Pharisees in and, and, and Matthew, when he says, Woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. What sorrow awaits you shepherds who feed yourselves instead of your flocks? Shouldn't shepherds feed their sheep? You drink the milk, you wear the wool, you butcher the best animals, but your flocks starve. You have, taken care of, you have not taken care of the weak. You have not tended the sick or, or bound up the injured. You have not gone looking for those who have wandered away and are lost. Instead, you have ruled them with harshness and cruelty. So my sheep have been scattered without a shepherd, and they are easy prey for wild animals. They have wandered through all the mountains and all the hills, across the face of all the earth, yet no one has gone to search for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, You abandoned my flock and left them to be attacked by every wild animal. And though you were my shepherds, you didn't search for my sheep when they were lost. You took care of yourselves and left the sheep to starve. Therefore, shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I now consider you shepherds my enemies. And I will hold you responsible for what has happened to my flock I will take away your right to feed the flock. And I will stop you from feeding yourselves. I will rescue my flock from, the, from, your, from your mouths. And the sheep will no longer be your prey. Well, this turned into God's remedy being that he himself was going to take over the job that they defaulted and failed at. That he was going to be the shepherd of his people. In Isaiah 40 verse 11, he says, I will feed... My flock like a shepherd, I will carry the lambs in my arms. I will hold them close to my heart. I will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. Again in Ezekiel 34, he says, For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search and find my sheep. I will be like a shepherd looking for his scattered flock. I will feed my sheep and rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on the dark and cloudy day. I will bring them back to their own land of Israel from among all the peoples and nations, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel and by the rivers and all the places where people live. Yes, I will give them good land, pasture land, on the high hills of Israel. There they will lie down in pleasant places and feed in the lush pastures of the hills. I myself will tend my sheep and give them a place to lie down in peace, says the sovereign Lord. I will search for my lost ones who have strayed, and I will bring them safely uh, home again, I will bandage the injured and strengthen the weak, but I will destroy those who are fat and powerful I will feed them yes, I will feed them justice from here God goes from being the shepherd to promising a, a shepherd in the future he promises a shepherd of for Israel who will lead his people properly Jeremiah 23 For the time is coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous descendant from the line of King David. He will be a king who rules with wisdom, and he will do just and and right throughout the land. And this will be his name. The Lord is our righteousness. In that day Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety. So when Jesus in John chapter 10 declares, I am the good shepherd, he is saying, I am the one that God promised. I am the one who is going to right all the wrongs that the bad shepherds have inflicted. I am going to show you a picture of your loving Heavenly Father. We think in the Old Testament of God as this God of wrath and justice and vengeance. And we miss the heart of the shepherd who cared for his people. And Jesus came to show us that heart as he declared that he himself was the one that would lay down his life for the sheep that he himself was the gateway to eternal life. And so John chapter 10, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs in by some other way, he is a thief and a robber. And, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. You need to know real quickly, just in terms of context, Jesus is referring to two different sheep pens. In verses 2 and 3, he's speaking about the sheep pens that were in the villages, in the towns, where there were communal sheep folds, where the village flocks would shelter when they returned home at night. These folds were protected by a strong door that only the guardian of the door held the key to. The rest of the passage, Jesus is talking about the sheep folds that were out on the hills in the warmer seasons, The sheep would go out for months at a time, and they didn't come home every night to the village. And they were collected into sheepfolds on the hillside. These hillside sheepfolds were just open spaces enclosed by a wall. And in them was an opening by which the sheep came in and went out. But there wasn't a door of any kind. What happened was that at night, the shepherd himself would lie down and be that door. No sheep could go out or come in, including wild enemies, except over the body of the shepherd. In the most literal sense, the shepherd was the door. And Jesus is saying, I am that door. Verse 4, when he puts forth, literally thrusts out his own, he goes ahead of them. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. I, I I want you to notice something really beautiful here. It's not exactly on point, but it ties in. To how Jesus is the good shepherd Notice that leads out in verse 3 Turns into thrusts out in, in verse 4 And it seems to contradict the fact That the shepherd goes out in front of the sheep And they follow him What do you mean he, he leads out by thrusting them out Well Jesus is using a word That is used in John chapter 9 verse 34 and 35 And the story Real quickly that happened there If you're familiar There was a man born blind from birth And Jesus heals him and all of a sudden he can see. And so he goes to the religious leaders and they're like, how is it possible that somebody born blind can now see? And he tells the story of Jesus and his healing. And finally, because he does not fit into their categories of understanding and theology, they thrust him out. They throw him out of the synagogue They say, who are you to teach us? And they alienate him. They excommunicate him. And so Jesus, in contrast, is saying, I have not abandoned my sheep. I have not alienated him. The good shepherd thrusts out his sheep, so to speak, in order to go ahead of them and in order to lead them. None are left behind. The shepherd won't lose a single one of them. Verse 5, a stranger they simply will not follow, but they will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand. The things that for which he had been saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door, and if anyone enters through me, he will be saved. He will go in and out and find pasture. There's that Hebrew phrase. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they may have life and not have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Verse 12. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand, and he's not concerned or invested in the sheep. But I am the good shepherd, and I know my own and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father... I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep which are not of this fold and I must bring them in also that they may hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life. Notice he doesn't say for the sheep here because at this point he's predicting his death and resurrection because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No one takes it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it back up again. Now, please be comforted by the fact that our part is much shorter than God's part, because God does all the work. Our part is really rather simple. The first thing that we need to understand about sheep is many people have argued that they are the dumbest of all the created creatures of the earth. I mean, literally, sheep are incredibly dumb. If one sheep or lamb starts walking around in a circle, another lamb will begin to follow it, and then another until the whole flock is wandering around in a circle. And all the while, they think that they're going somewhere, that they're accomplishing something. Additionally, sheep are defenseless. They're easy prey for the enemy. They're dirty, and they can't clean themselves. They have a thick coat that collects dirt and debris and holds in sweat. And yet, they have no ability to clean themselves. And sheep are dependent. They're completely dependent upon the shepherd to guide them and to lead them. Otherwise, they get incredibly lost because they're just positionless and and directionless. Our role as sheep is simply to listen, to respond, to follow, to obey. When we hear his voice, to respond to obey, to do what he says. Dallas Willard, the late Christian philosopher and writer, said, unfortunately, the Lord is my shepherd is written on many more tombstones than lives. Everybody wants to say that as their final thing, but how many of us live like God is truly our shepherd? How many of us allow him to call the shots and to care for us? Well, we're going to close today with a gospel message because that's, where we close every message. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 16, I have other sheep. He was referring and alluding to the Gentiles that would be grafted in with the Jews to become the people of God, to become the united church of God. Isaiah 56, 8, for the sovereign Lord who brings back, literally gathers the dispersed outcasts of Israel, says, I will bring others too besides my people Israel the good the the gospel is literally the good news of how Jesus fulfilled that me, that mission of bringing people back to God. Paul keys off on that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 when he says that God has made us as well his ambassadors and we plead with people to be reconciled with God, to come back to God. That's the ministry that he gave us. In Psalm 23 verse 3 when David says for his name's sake to do something for the sake of God's name is to do something that expands His glory for His fame and His reputation. God guides us in a way that brings Him glory. And I know you're thinking, how could we make God's glory any bigger than it already is? We can't, but we can reflect His glory and we can allow others who don't see His glory as clearly as we do to see His glory in all of its fullness. Considering the role of a shepherd, it's very interesting that the Latin word for shepherd is The word pastor. And I love what pastor and author John Stott said. He said Christian ministers should be under people as their servants, not over them as their leaders and lords. Jesus made this absolutely clear. Sometimes we hold up our pastors as the anointed of God. They're the popes, they're the leaders, and we're just the humble sheep that follow. But listen to where that leads. George Barna, the Fuller Institute of Pastoral Care, says that 50% of pastors have considered leaving the ministry in the last six months, especially with the pandemic. 50% of ministers starting out will not last five years. One in ten pastors will actually retire as a minister in some form or another. Over 4,000 churches closed in America last year, and over 3,500 people a day leave the church. Now, why do I say all that? It's not to say, oh, woe are pastors, and please pray for me. It's to remind you, you are pastors. It is the priesthood of all believers. It is not my job to do it all. It is our job as the people of God to minister in his name. And to serve and to fulfill his kingdom role. God has called every single one of us to accomplish that goal. And I don't say that complaining. I don't say that griping. I'm saying that to empower you and realize your calling. Many of you do a lot of things to earn a living. But your true calling, you are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. You are here to lift up his kingdom. And you are to find lost sheep.